Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Ollie Watkins just gets away from him, but El Ghazi's behind him. And more El Ghazi! 3 0! Emphatic! Triore with Watkins available. Triore just passes it into the corner. Big moment for him. It's young. Here's Douglas the Wee, strong on the ball, opens up for John McGinn, plays the pass towards Watkins, 1-0 Villa! Villa's a big clap mate. Gather round villains and welcome to Gather Round the Lamp, our podcast from underagaslitlamp.com, all about Aston Villa, in association with Manscaped. After a short break, we're back and we'll be having a look back at the Chelsea defeat and previewing the trip to Brentford this weekend, whilst maybe glancing an eye on the potential for the January transfer window. I'm Andy, and joining me in my pit of COVID isolation chamber this week is Craig and Dan. Yes, hello. I'm I'm not literally in the COVID chamber because that would be kind of asking for trouble. I am a safe distance across the narrow sea. That's a Game of Thrones reference. It's not narrow at all. It's actually the Atlantic Ocean. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, it's great to be back on the podcast um, and um, it's great to be COVID free. So yay me. <laughs> Yeah, rub it in, why don't you, Craig? Hi, everyone, it's Dan here. Like Andy, I'm in COVID isolation, so this is the most human contact I've had for four days. So if I start spouting absolute nonsense or more nonsense than normal, forgive me. It's just my, my lucid fever dreams from uh, from old COVID-19. I think, Craig, you're probably glad we're not back at the Birmingham Podcast Studios. That was a, a small old space, wasn't it, to be? To that be. was a small old space, yeah. That was obviously the last time I, I, I did a podcast, and that... For sure, would have been a super spreader event if I'd been in there with you, Andy. It was we were, we were at close quarters. It's fair to say. Yeah, well, I, uh, listener, if you bear with me, I'm uh, I am struggling a little bit with the old cough and cold and and everything. But um, and and of course, if you if you if you're struggling yourselves with the with this outbreak that's that seems to be going around like wildfire, then hope you get well soon. Um, but after after the the postponement um, of the Burnley fixture, um, the Boxing Day game against Chelsea had 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 also seemed under threat, um, particularly when news emerged that Steven Gerrard had tested positive um, and would would be unable to to be on the touchline for the game. Um, strangely, uh, kind of during the lead up to the to the match, Villa's trip to Leeds, which would have been uh, yesterday as we're recording on the Tuesday. Um, was called off due to, to COVID in the Leeds United squad. Um, however, the, the Chelsea game uh, did survive, and we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit, but, but just a word on on the current situation. Clearly, it's it's an extremely awkward set of circumstances for the, the football authorities to navigate through at the moment um, in order to keep the programme going, but also to, to maintain the integrity um, of the competition um, how how do you think it's going? What's what's your thoughts on on this this situation that's just ongoing at the minute? Money, money, money <laughs> must be funny in a rich man's. Well, I am not to be uh, the old cynical Sally over here, Andy, but um, it's my impression that this is going ahead for financial reasons. We know that the Premier League lost. I think up to 100 million pounds uh, when the uh, when the fixtures were cancelled last time um, during COVID, 
And so I think that the game is continuing for financial reasons. If I'm being if I'm being cynical, you know, TV companies pay literally billions of pounds into the Premier League coffers each year to make sure that they have um, their festive programming. And festive programming is big business. Obviously, the weather's terrible, <laughs> at least in this hemisphere. And uh, everyone is kind of hunkered around watching TV. You know, I, I've been watching all the football. Um, you know, it's been a lovely time off work and all that good stuff. So I think financially, I think the financial reasons is, 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 is why the football authorities are continuing. Um, but there is kind of a flip side to that coin in that it really is helpful. Like lots of us are locked away. Uh, you gentlemen are both isolating and it is a wonderful thing to be able to watch football and to enjoy it and cheer on your team, you know, safely from your own COVID bunker. And um, it's great, you know, for, for mental health and all those other things. So while I don't think the while I don't think the intentions are pure from the football authorities, I do think that there is a nice consequence in that we all get to enjoy the football. And um, it, it has been great to, to, to see, see the games. Yeah, I think you're right. There's some some definitely some financial considerations going in there because there seems to be not much rhyme or reason to the games that are getting cancelled and others that aren't. But um, yeah, a word a word on it for fans. I mean, whether you're going to a match on Boxing Day or you're using the match as an excuse to get away from your in-laws and, and escape to another room, it, it's heartbreaking to have such an important part of Christmas cancelled. I love fe the festive fixture pile-up is part of what makes British football so great and, and it's been really hard to, to not have that this year but I, I know I know Craig mentioned the money there I think we should also mention the players too I think Stevie G kind of did a good job of humanizing this the other week when he talked about uh, a Villa player who wouldn't get out of his car because he was worried he had COVID and he had a young family and it's it's easy to forget that these guys are navigating this whole crisis just as we are and and it's not easy for them either they got to go to work got to go to football pitches uh, got to play against people that they don't know if they're safe or not so um so yeah I, I feel for the players too but but mainly for fans like boxing day if your boxing day match is cancelled it's heartbreaking yeah i certainly felt a bit like that obviously i couldn't go on on sunday um because i was uh, i was isolating but i i don't know i just feel like um part of the problem i think now is it's like with anything uh, in football is you have a set of circumstances which come about because of um you know this this obviously and yeah terrible situation that we've been in for for 2 years and generally football uh has been able to continue to some to to a large degree um at, at various stages whether it's behind closed doors or 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 whatever you know they've worked hard to be able to do that um and it's great but now i just feel like in the last few weeks it feels like there's a there's there's almost a tactical element to it, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but you know I was thinking about because you know with Newcastle last night, you know they they played last night against Man United, but then the next game against Everton is off. You know what's changed in that time, and also, you know, is that just a case where we can play Everton? There, there, it's a winnable game. You know, uh, we can play it later once we've been through the January transfer window and strengthened the team and all the rest of it. I don't know, it just feels a bit cynical at times. And I'm not saying that that's, that's the case at all. And there's also this idea where they're, they're, they're kind of factoring in the injuries that a team has. So, you know, you could have, you could have nine injuries. I mean, if you had ten injuries before, they wouldn't cancel the game. But now you can have nine injuries and one COVID. 
and suddenly the, the game's off. It's it just feels a little bit a little bit strange, and I'm I'm kind of in the Gary Neville camp. I I just feel that you know that you, they should just play, just play the games, and if and if you if you genuinely can't play the games, you forfeit the game, and the points go to the other team, and and that's that's how they do it in rugby, which I know is different because they can't squeeze games in in rugby so easily, but you know I just I just think. Uh, it yeah. just feels a bit wrong those, at the minute. Those wimpy rugby players need too much rest. <laughs> that's the problem. Um, the, uh, the 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 main the main issue is I think that um, is is that uh, you know football. You know, Andy, you're another cynical Sally. There, football is about as self serving an industry as you'll find. Yeah. And yeah, of course, people are play, playing the system. I think Newcastle are playing the system. I think that Leeds are playing the system. Um, but that's all almost. To be expected, I think that the governance has to be better and the governance has to be very, very clear. So, for example, it needs to be, um, you know, a, a, a clear number. So let's say, OK, if you have five or more COVID cases, you get two postponed fixtures. If you do not have five or more COVID cases, you do not get to postpone fixtures. But there is no guidance. There is no rule. So it's the Wild West. And Again, it's not like this is new. We've had this for two years now, um, more or less. You know, obviously, it's called COVID nineteen for for a reason. And um, the 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 governors, the 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 Premier League in this in this instance, or the FA, whoever, they've had plenty of time to get their head around it. So it's no surprise that that, that clubs are going to try and 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 duck and dive and cheat the system. And I think that Leeds are doing it because I think they have low COVID cases, but high injuries. And Newcastle, they lost their two best players uh, against Manchester United, as you alluded to, in Callum Wilson and St. Maximum. And now all of a sudden they can't fulfill their fixture. So yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very, it's very transparent, but ultimately the clubs are always going to do what's best for the clubs. It's up to the governance, the football governors, to make sure that the rules are clear. Yeah, I think they may be missing a trick too. I don't know about you boys, but one of my favourite memories of last year was when we put the kids out in the cup game against Liverpool because the rest of the team had COVID. And it was it was great to see players play who wouldn't normally play. And, and it was almost, I don't know, just like a snow day. It was a weird fixture that you'd <laughs> never relive again. And I don't know, I think other, other fans would enjoy the same thing. Just a free swing, watch the kids play. I mean, we all know clubs have got players stacked hundreds high. They can get a team out. Um, I, I think it would have been fun to see a few under-18 sides rolled out. But yeah, same as you two. It, it, it's definitely cynical and it, and it definitely it shows the difference between the top teams that have hundreds of millions worth of talent on the bench compared to teams like like Villa or Crystal Palace were another one who you get one or two players out and suddenly you start to look threadbare. Yeah. Chelsea Chelsea is an interesting one um because I think a few a couple of weeks ago they put out like three or four subs which is just obscene. Do they have like 75 players on loan or something? One maybe the best academy in world football. And they're pretending they don't have enough players. That to yeah. me was 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 naughty. And 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 and. But again, it's about it's about the governance. You know, if you, you give these people a lynch, they'll take a mile. Yeah, and, and you generally find. I mean, they they say, don't they? So and so, like Crystal Palace the other day, their their um their request was was rejected, and they still had a, a strong team out. You know, it wasn't like they were missing lots of big players. I do think that. That as well, you know, if they were, if there was, say, a quota like you mentioned, Craig, say five players, it it should be five players from the previous match day squad, not 
not just five five players that that aren't you know they're injured already or they're you know it's it's got to be you know something that's that that really affects the, them and it it would affect the the um, integrity of of the game essentially but yeah I think I think um, they it seems like they're just going to ride this through now doesn't it and uh, whether that includes fans or, or or not at some point but the fans. It doesn't feel like the fans is actually the issue at the moment. Fans are quite prepared to go to games and take their chances and that sort of thing. It's it's actually the from inside the squads where the the the, the problem is is emerging from. Uh, well, there's a word for that, and and the, the players, Daniel, you mentioned it as well. And and you know, lots of these players, you know, live in multi generational households. We mm-hmm. know that Douglas Louise, for example, we know that his whole family lives with him. So if you're living, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not using, I'm just, Douglas Weeks is just an illustration. But if you're living with an elderly relative who, who lives with you and they are immune compromised or a young relative, a, 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 one of your kids, you know, um, was it uh, David uh, Silva famously had a kid, uh, you know, I think it was suffering with leukemia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm only naming him because that's already in the public domain. For sure, there are other Premier League players that have sick elderly relatives or sick children. Are they expected to go into work and put themselves in a situation where they might catch this and bring it home to a vulnerable family member? I mean, there is a real kind of human cost here and human toll. So the, the, the mental health and well-being of the, the players hasn't necessarily been spoken about other than Steven Gerrard, who did make some good points about it. But I think that we as fans also have to be a little bit more cognizant of the human element that these are as, as Daniel says these are human beings with with families and just because they make a lot of money it doesn't make these other problems go away it doesn't mean that you're gonna have healthy kids or healthy parents or healthy grandparents it doesn't mean that you're immune from this stuff I mean you know COVID is touching everyone yeah no that is that is absolutely uh bang on but I suppose where people struggle with it is when it's almost used as a um, a, a kind of an excuse to attack the Christmas or the festive kind of program that we're also used to in this country. Mm-hmm. Although I do think playing top level football two games in forty eight hours is 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 ridiculous. To be honest, you know, we this is meant to be the best league in the world. You know, we're compromising that. I think when we, you know, we're getting into those kind of territories. You know, because you're never going to have. You know, players on 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 full on maximum uh, energy at that at that point are you? But um, but we'll get we'll get on to the uh, we'll get on to the Chelsea game and Villa were able to to actually select a, a strong side for the for this one. Um, although John McGinn and Ashley Young uh, were the main absentees, Morgan Sanson made his his first league start of the season and and Danny Ings also returned. Meanwhile. Uh, as we mentioned, poor little Chelsea. Um, they only had um, <laughs> 300 million worth of talent on on the bench um, with Thomas Tuchel re- bemoaning the situation as unfair um, in the post-match interview. Um, but it was an encouraging start by Villa. Um, despite Chelsea having having most of the ball, Villa were able to spring out and get into some, some, some dangerous... Areas with Watkins' pace in particular causing problems. Then on 28 minutes, uh, a fortuitous breakthrough really, as the ball um, was worked out to the left, uh, and Matt Target whipped in a superb, superb cross, uh, which Reese James connected with and looped the header looped over Mendy in, in the Chelsea goal. 
a really good team goal, really, applying applying pressure to Chelsea around the penalty area. And another excellent contribution from, from Target, who's really getting back to his best again, I think. Yeah, I mean, fortuitous goal, but I think it was just desserts for a bright start. I think that's uh, as well as we started uh, under Gerard. I think, and we we seem to in other games have started quite slowly, and then he's got into him at halftime and turned him round. But here we were we were on it from the off, uh, even though he wasn't in the dugout. But um, I, I I was kind of looking at the notes for this, and and it reminded me of the old three five poo days when we were talking about how <laughs> how Dean Smith was trying to unlock the fullbacks with a formation. And it turns out all he needed to do was put up his Christmas tree all along. And uh, I think it's really <laughs> interesting. Both he and Gerard seem to have seen Villa's most potent, uh, potent attacking weapons as the fullbacks. They've just gone about unlocking them in different ways. And and I think Steven Gerrard's is a lot more sophisticated and it's working a lot better than, than Dino's did. And even though I hate myself for de- saying that, but... I, I think on that, I think the, the the most impressive thing so far about Gerard's short reign is that he's put a real identity on this team, a real tactical style, and and as I say, you don't see many teams playing the the kind of Christmas tree formation that he does, especially not with fullbacks as high as he gets them. So I I think we're going to see a lot more of Matt Target and and Matty Cash bombing down those lines and and whipping in balls like that, probably getting a few more goals each too this season. Yeah, I think um, it, it was a lovely ball in from target, you know, hit into the danger area. And, and that's what you, you need to see. I think there is a marked difference. Um, we're going to talk about cash in a minute, but there is a marked difference between the final ball from Matt Target and Matty Cash, um, with targets being, I think, far superior, gen- gen- generally, generally speaking. I think that target um, is really back to his best. He, um, you know, some people on, on the podcast question whether he could play in front of fans. Um, <laughs> it, it seems. It seems that I don't remember. That. It seems that he can, and he's really growing into himself. I think the, the the moment where I kind of fell in love with Matt Target a little bit was um, when um, not when we were talking about whether or not he had hair on his backside for a manscaped <laughs> spot. Um, when that deflected Wolves goal uh, from uh, uh, what's his name, Ruben Neves went in, but actually when he did that really kind of gutsy interview after the Southampton game where he really fronted up and just you know he looked he bared his soul almost for the Aston Villa TV cameras and just said how he he just was nowhere near it and he needed to go have a look in the mirror you know he stepped up and took responsibility and I love that I love that in in life I love it in government doesn't happen but I love it when people stand up and hold their hands up and say you know what things aren't going the way I want them to go and I'm going to I'm going to look in the mirror and try and address the slump. And he did that and he's come back now and he is moving back toward that player that we all knew and knew and loved uh, from last season where he won deservedly our player of the season over 100 million pound Jack Grealish. Let's not forget. So now Matt Target with uh, Luke Shaw being uh, dropped and binned off uh, by Ralph Ragnarick. If I've said that right, I probably haven't. And also uh, Chilwell suffering a long term injury. Target, um, you know, for the for those next internationals coming up in March, if he carries on like this, he he has to be putting himself back in the England reckoning, and that is a major improvement from where he was in that first game of the season. We remember against Watford, where he didn't even look like a professional footballer. So, credit to Matt Target. Long may it continue. Um, he's he's becoming a real stalwart for Aston Villa. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm, 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 I'm really pleased because I've, I've done nothing but hammer him this season. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, but he's one of those characters. I think, I think you, you, you bang on really, Craig. He's one of those characters that you like, 
you want those Pete those those players that are a bit introspective and they you know they 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 do front up as well and um he certainly he's certainly done that but he he has he there's no getting away from the fact he was awful he was awful from the from the first half against Watford right up until that Southampton game pretty much um maybe with one or two exceptions but certainly he had that run of games where we lost those five games that that saw the end of Dean Smith um and he he was one of the worst players and I, you know he he you could tell it, it wasn't it was a it was a a bad dip in form it wasn't necessarily going to be the end of him but it was terrible and you start to think we've got to get someone in in January um you know i i was calling every week for for Ashley Young to start at left back um and in fairness, whatever's happened, whether it's just the change of system, whether the the instructions are clearer, whatever it is, Matt Target's game has gone gone onto another level again. It is it is back to um, where he was last season, if not if not slightly better. I think defensively, he's tremendous. Yeah. His 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 the his his ability to win the ball when a when a, a fullback is running at when a sorry a winger is running at him to to make a tackle and come up with the ball. I just think is 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 excellent. You know, you don't see that an awful lot and and he will just do the right thing. He you know, if it's got to go, you know, into the crowd, it'll go into the crowd and and he's he's tough. He's he's he's, he's added that steel to his game. I think I said that last season he was turning into kind of more of a, a Stuart Pearce type type fullback. Um which kind of was then confusing when Smith tried to turn him back into a wing back, and 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 you, you kind of think you, he's back and forth, and no wonder he doesn't really know what he's meant to be doing. But he's he's now he's playing from a from a solid base where he's he's expected to defend and join the attack rather than attack and get involved with defending. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 it seems to make more logical sense to him, and I think that's why he's 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 improved. He he's an odd one for me because I don't think in recent memory a Villa player has had a more roller coaster career trajectory than him. I mean, the first season he came in, he was awful, and fans were calling for him to go. Then, then he had that great season last season. And he started this season awful, and and yeah, I was I was the one saying he couldn't play in front of fans, and and look at it now, like he's back to his best. And I honestly can't remember a player who's had such highs and such lows with such regularity. I mean, he must be dizzy judging by his form. But I think you're right there, Andy. I think we've always known he's had a good cross on him, but it's his defensive work that's so impressive. I, I just feel confident every time he's one-on-one with a winger now, and, and I didn't feel like that in his first season. I didn't feel like that at the start of this season, but but he's great, and, and I like, as you say, Craig, I like him fronting up. He was, I saw he, him and Matt Cash were getting a bunch of stick for doing the club's go-get-a-booster-shot video on social media, but he's obviously put his hand up to do that video, and, and fair play to him. He's, he's becoming one of the most low key likable players we've had in a long long time and and, and he has and I think also uh, uh, to go back to the point that, that you mentioned Andy in terms of um, reinforcements in January I think that Stephen Gerrard has alluded to strength in the fullback positions 
uh, I would probably be disappointed to see a new right back come in because I'm looking for um, I'm looking for like Andy is. We're just excited for the return of Freddie Gilbert. No, <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I'm I'm excited for the. Re- Although uh, I saw Gilbert is in the team of the season um, so far in uh, in in league league league. Uh, so that's interesting. Oh, that 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 top level league. Oh, he, there, oh he's. But um, I'm I'm I am I'm not necessarily. I am looking forward to uh, Kane Kessler Hayden. So I would be dif- disappointed if we 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 signed a right back. We're well, not disappointed, but I'd be you know curious about it but we do need a left back for sure we still need to sign a left back because Ashley Young is now in the last uh, six or seven months of his deal also obviously he is creaking towards 40 and um and and there's no one else really. There's the young lad uh, Chris N, but um, rumor has it that he'll be getting a, a, a loan or two before he's considered for first team duty. So Villa do need to sign a left back regardless, and um, it'll be interesting to see who that is. But uh, for sure, it is Matt Target's shirt to lose. Yeah, well, the rumors about Aaron Hickey won't go away, but um, that's uh, yeah, good player too. If we we manage to get him, he's a good player, and it's I, I know you boys have discussed this before, so I won't go in depth, but it's it's an a challenging role to fill the understudy left back I mean not many people want to come and sit on the bench and play the odd game so it's a really challenging one that for the for the transfer team to go find the right player that will push target but also be happy to to sit on the bench more often yeah, than not. but um maybe more more on that in a in a bit but um sadly that that lead um was short-lived as, as targets right-sided counterpart Matty Cash brought down Hudson Adoy. Um, as he got the wrong side and, and Cash slid in, leaving the ref with no, no choice really but to award the penalty, uh, which Jorginho comfortably dispatched as he does. Um, this felt like another example of um, Cash being a bit rash, Craig. Yeah, well, he is. You know, he he has that frenetic energy. He's like a uh, he's like a a, a a buzzsaw or a chainsaw. Uh, kind of a player, and and I love it about him. Um, Not unlike you on your return to Birmingham the other week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I was a bundle of energy walking around Birmingham. If you, if, if you saw me, it was like I was. Uh, it was like Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So 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 Matty Cash. I think lots of people on Twitter were absolutely hammering him. Um, it's a mistake. It's no more than that. Um, he. We know that he has that in him. We know that he, um, you know, he's, he has done it before. Uh, the Harry Kane penalty, when the ball's going out, you know, Kane kind of bought bought a penalty off him. I, you know, he's he's definitely has that moment of kind of in him. Uh, but unfortunately, um, he got he got he got done this time out. But you know, my main concern with Cash is not is not this. My main concern, and I, we saw it again, unfortunately, on on on. On the game against Chelsea is that, that the final ball. I think there was a moment. Um, there's always a moment where he overhits a cross or underhits a cross, or, and, and there was a, a, a glaring example again on uh, against against Chelsea where Bert, Bertie Traore, my wizard, had just come on. He danced around a couple of players, gives it into Cash. Cash has a or just have to roll the ball to the edge of the six-yard box. Danny Ings is waiting, and he, he manages to hit the Chelsea defender. I just, I, you know. He has everything, Matty Cash. Matty Cash is, 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 I'll say again, the best right back we've had in years. I'll take my, put my tin hat on now for all the Alan Hutton fans, but far superior to Alan Hutton. And um, if he can just get a little bit more composure in those attacking areas, he is going to be something very special. But 
I just put that down to an experience. You know, it's it, it, it was a poor penalty to concede, but I think it's a mistake, no more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't as upset about the penalty. I can see how he gave it away. The player's coming in his blind side and he's, he didn't see him until the last moment. But one thing I would say is get used to it. He's going to be giving away a lot more of this kind of foul and penalty because it's the role he's being asked to play. I think, Andy, you just said that, that Matt Target's being asked to defend first and then attack. I think it's the other way around for Matt Cash. He's being asked to attack first and, and defend second. And, and that means more often than not, his defending's going going to be done facing his own goal while he's running back at full speed and and we know he's got the pace for that we know he's got the the slide tackle for it but he's going to give away fouls and he's going to give away penalties and I think until he matures a little bit and gets used to to how we're playing and and how Gerard wants him to play he's going to give away a bit more of that but I I I don't know if I'm I'm on board with the Matt Cash train though I really like him I mean he's he's definitely no Alan Hutton or or a Mark Delaney for that matter (laughs) But uh, he's he's really fallen off. He started the season so well, but he's another one who seems to have fallen off. And I just love some consistency from our fullbacks because they, they, at least they're not both dropping at the same time. They seem to be seesawing on each other. And when one of them's up, the other one's down and vice versa. But I, I need to see a lot more from Matt Cash this year because his form's really fallen off a cliff. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I I, I think he's a, a, much like Target. He's a very likable um, individual. Very, you know, very solid pro. Very good um, in interviews and things like that, which is which is great. And I do like the way he plays. He's, he's, he's he is all action, and he's he's you know. And I do uh, one thing I have noticed. I think um, because we are defending so much more compact and narrower. Um. He is resisting that urge to fly out of the fullback position and and and, and attack the winger, if you like, who, if they have the ball. I remember when Man City, when we played Man City, they were playing a lot in those wide areas and those channels, um, you know. And you could see he was almost wanting to go and nail Sterling and you know and so, and so on. And he was just he was able to hold back and and remain in his shape and not allow them to 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 kind of get the better of him really and. And I thought that was that you know that was a really good sign. Um, I think much like Craig, his 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 issue is going to be the, the the final ball because you know he's, he is so involved. But I have been really impressed with his his attacking play and his his ability to actually sort of come more inside as well and 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 kind of drive at the defence, which I think I think yeah, he started carrying the ball a lot more, which he's he's really good at actually. Yeah, he's really good at driving at defenders. He's got a turn of speed. He's got nice close control. Uh, but again, it is just that final that final pass that which is you know that is the money maker, and um, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I know we all know how Andy feels about Freddie Gilbert. Daniel, <laughs> would you have another look at Freddie Gilbert, or, or are you have you are you done with him? I don't know. It, it seems crazy to spend money on another fullback when when you've got a substandard backup right there. But I think his his attitude <laughs> against. His attitude against Barrow is is what really did it for me. I think it, it showed a player who who absolutely didn't want to wear the shirt, and I think we'll uh, he's not going to be in a Villa shirt again. I don't think before his contracts out. I don't think, in all seriousness, that Steven Gerrard would consider him to be good enough quality on the ball, out out of possession. Definitely not. You know, he's 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 just not up to it. He might be able to do a job in France, and and maybe he's happier there, so that's that helps. But I I just think, and yeah, 
you know, his 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 storming around and sulking um, when he had to play against Barrow was uh, was embarrassing, really. So I'm just not. I don't. Want, yeah, I, and I'd, I'd much rather see Kessler Hayden um, being being brought back into the fold. You know, whether he can come back in January or in the summer, you know, and get his opportunity than than, than wasting more time on 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 someone like Gilbert, really. Um, that would be... He's got dodgy facial hair too as well, doesn't he, Gilbert? I'm, I'm not on board with whatever wispy thing he's got going on. A little bit of a soul patch even. Like, it's... I'm, I'm just not on board for that. Like, we need better facial hair in the team. Melberg set the standard that everyone needs to live up to and and I'm sorry, Freddie, it's just not it's not, not good enough. Out the team you go. Wow. Yeah. So he's not, he's not winning on any level, is he, really? But shots fired at Freddie Gilbert. Yeah, yeah we will upset people <laughs> with that because he he is a, a bit of a he did develop a bit of a cult following, um, and a lot of people, you know, they like his they like his his, his attitude and and stuff like that. But you know, it's it's not enough. It's not enough to have. I would. Everyone likes a slide tackle, don't they? That's yeah. it. Everyone loves seeing someone slide no, I, in. But generally, s- if you're sliding in that often, you're you're positioned wrong. Exactly. Is the problem. But it's fun to watch. No, I. I it, I I would just say just just <laughs> just to float an idea out there that maybe and now we haven't really seen him consistently in the Premier League for two years now maybe the two years he's had playing regular football in, in France maybe he has developed some positional play maybe he's developed uh, because by all accounts and I do accept that league on is a different standard to the Premier League but by all accounts he's playing very very well so I'm just floating the idea that maybe just maybe he might be worth a second look okay well the idea is <laughs> <laughs> a damning okay we, there absolutely damning we'll leave the idea floating then craig for now um, <laughs> and we'll we'll move on to the second half um which began with the introduction of of Romelu Lukaku um who's yet another player who seems to love playing against Villa? It's then amazing the amount of players that, like Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, all these, who have seemed to have scored more goals against Villa than anyone else. It's just <laughs> incredible, really. But Romelu Lukaku is one of those players, um, and it seemed inevitable that he would have an impact. And sure enough, after only a few minutes, really, of being on the field, um, his head was on the end of a, a Mason Mount cross. And he, he directed it past Martinez. There was a lot of talk about the defending for this one, um, especially as to whether maybe Tyrone Ming should do do better with his, his challenge in the air. Um, we didn't really challenge for the, the ball at all. Um, was this just a, a top striker doing what he, he does though? And you know, can we can we apportion blame for this goal? Look, there's there's a reason why a gaggle of super clubs have spent the GDP of a small nation on buying Lukaku, selling Lukaku and buying Lukaku again. He is world class and he makes defenders look ordinary. And I think, yeah, Mings didn't cover himself in glory. He had a bad day at the office. But, but I think that's as a result of Lukaku making him have a bad day at the office. And I mean, how do you defend a guy? He's pacey enough that he can get in behind you. He's strong enough that if you go tight, he's going to shrug you off. And if you stand off of him, he can pick a pass. I mean, there's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And yeah, it didn't look good with Mings not jumping, kind of sticking his shoulder into him. It, he looks a bit foolish. But as I say, you you bring on a £100 million substitute, he, he's going to change a game. And that's exactly what happened to Villa. I think 
the defending concern doesn't concern me. Villa's second half really concerned me more than the defending. We real Jekyll and Hyde performance this one, and we again looked like we're not fit enough to make it through ninety minutes. And I think that's that's what worries me. I think Lukaku was just the beneficiary of it. Um, I slightly disagree. I think that Ming. I think there was a psychological problem with Ming's um, actually as soon as Lukaku came on. Um, I think that Ming's kind of lost his head. He was played very well in the first half, um, solid. And then all of a sudden he's shanking clearances, he's missing the ball. And that, uh, and that, and that is psychological. Like there's, it, it, the, the fact that Romelu Lukaku has come on the field, and this is a half-fit Romelu Lukaku, this is not a full-flying Romelu Lukaku, has made Ming's a little bit or struck or, or or scared or thrown him off his game you know just the psychology of having that player up against him and I, I I don't like that that was disappointing to me um I think that being overpowered by Lukaku as Daniel says being outpaced by Lukaku no shame in that happens um if Mings had gone up for that header with Lukaku and Lukaku had beat him in the air I could forgive that as well. You know what? You were beaten in the air by Romelu Lukaku, who's one of the best strikers in world football. It happens. But to not compete, to kind of do that kind of shoulder barge without going up to even attempt to win the header, that was really, really disappointing um, um, from Mings. And I just do think it was psychological. I think that um, Courtney Horse showed it in the Chelsea Cup game. Um, you know, he, he was able to deal with 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 Lukaku a little bit better and, and for Mings I just think it's psychological I think Mings is out now anyway for the uh, for the, for the Brentford game for, for a cynical <laughs> foul on Lukaku no less which again is just symptomatic of the, the kind of distress that <laughs> Lukaku caused him and, and again it's not just Mings you know Daniel you are right in saying this is one of the world's elite strikers there is a reason why he has played for, for lots of the top clubs in the world and the reason why he's won everything there is to win um, at least in club football, he is one of the very best, you know, to to do it. So it isn't a great shame to be for Lukaku to be better than you, but I was just a little bit disappointed that that Mings kind of went to part and just seemed to lose his head in that second half, and now we lose him for Brentford too. I do get your point, Craig, but I do think like top top players have an aura about yeah. them, right? Like you look at Ronaldo, you look at Messi, and Lukaku's up there for me, and and they scare defenders, and and I think that's what happened on this one. And it's I get it's not fun to watch when it's your defender losing his head, and it's not exactly the first time Mings has lost his head. But I think that's what top players do, and and when you can bring on a ninety seven point five million pound striker at half time, you're gonna going to terrify teams. So I, I get your point, but I kind of disagree with you because I think I think whoever you are, you could be, I don't know, Vidic at its finest or Rio at its finest. You're going to be quaking in your boots when someone like Lukaku comes on. I, I just think that's the nature of the man. Yeah, I, there is that, that psychological element to it though, isn't there? And, and I think we've spoken about this before with Mings, that he almost takes that challenge very personally um, and it can make him do things which and behave in a way on a, on the field that he wouldn't normally. Um, we had a similar thing with Joel Linton last season or the season before at Newcastle. Mm. And, you know, you, you, you kind of think, well, you know, I understand that idea of a defender and a striker having a battle, but it's not necessarily just his responsibility, you know. And, and, and you know, ultimately, you just, you've just got to... It was the optics of it, wasn't it? Of that, that incident, you know, when you see it, in, from the side in slow motion and he's turned away 
and Lukaku's just headed it in without any challenge, really. It just doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look right. It, you kind of want your, your defender to be trying to get ahead of him and and get in, but then again, if you if if you then if you then going for a ball and you're caught wrong side and you're out of the picture and he scores, then you know you look you also look silly, don't you? So it's it's kind of but I also it's a it's a think tricky there's one. a word uh, for the 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 right hand side. So that's Matty Cash and um, Morgan Sansom were operating on that side, I believe. Um, with Ramsey yeah. uh, on the left, um, there was no challenge on that cross whatsoever. I mean, Mason Mount has all no. the time. Was it Mount or was it uh, Adoy? Whoever it was, they had all the time in the yeah. world to pick that cross and put it into Villa's danger area, which was fine in the first half because Pulisic isn't going to beat Mings or Konza in, in the air. Um, you know, that's not going to happen. But when you have Lukaku on, on on the pitch, you cannot give that kind of free roam just for people to ping balls into the box and it's going to be similar against Brentford with Ivan Tony, and it's going to be similar you know against uh, Burnley whenever they reschedule you can't just give Burnley time to ping balls in the in in in, in the box with with the likes of Chris Wood because you will be you will be punished I actually think it's a weakness of this team and I think that's why Mings looks so suspect in these scenarios I think outside of Mings and Konza we don't have anyone who's a great header of the ball defensively and, and Konza I'd say does his best work on, well yeah but on the pitch <laughs> most of the time and I say <laughs> Konza does most of his good work on the deck and so I think Mings has to take a lot of responsibility whenever a big lump comes on and, and we've seen it happen yeah as you say with Joe Linton we, we will probably see it happen with Ivan Tony, and, and it does happen because we don't have those kind of old school defenders or even a big midfielder who can step on a striker's toes and help Mings out so I do feel for Mings and I think it is a weakness in this side and I know we'll come on to January transfers but I think a little bit of height in this team really wouldn't go amiss yeah I'd say I'd say so but I mean that goal really was the cue for for, for Chelsea to kind of round up the wagons to some degree and see the game out um as Villa attempted to to make inroads, but were effectively shut out of the game at that point. Indeed, um, as Villa did press forward, um, they were exposed to the, the counter-attack and with the final passage of play, really, Lukaku stormed forward, uh, leaving Target uh, stumbling on the floor, which was, you know, <laughs> rather amusing to watch from from some, some angles. Um and then was just hacked down by Konza for Chelsea's second penalty, uh, which was again uh, put away by by Jorginho. Um, I don't really want to d- dwell too much on the on the final goal. It was I think three one probably flattered Chelsea a little bit on the night, um, but this was certainly certainly felt like another match against the top side where the, the gap in quality was was fairly stark. It seemed that d- despite an upturn in, in performances. Um, we continue to struggle really to create to create those those big chances and make the most of you know some of the possession we have in good areas, um, and as a result, you know this the, the Ings and Watkins debate has, has come up again, and you know where do you see this this issue with these two? You know, can they play together? And you know, with certain rumours going around that Newcastle may be targeting Ings, um, would you cash in on him? After only six months, or, or give these this partnership a bit a bit of a chance, I would give it strong consideration if I were Christian Perslow and Aston Villa, um, um, and here's why: um, Ings obviously is a wonderful Premier League striker. He scores goals, but 
it is fair to say that he didn't work in Dean Smith's system and thus far he isn't working in uh, Steven Gerrard's system and in both of those systems he is not working with Ollie Watkins and some of that is Ollie Watkins' fault some of that's Danny Ings' fault I think there was a wonderful opportunity um, Andy was speaking about in the group chat in the first 10 minutes of the game Watkins gets wide he's got to put a ball in Ings is there he just doesn't get the ball right they're just not quite on the same wavelength Ings and Watkins now, does that mean that's fatal? Does it mean they'll never be on the same wavelength? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But the Danny Ying signing was a signing for today, today, today. It isn't a signing where you think, okay, we're going to give him a year or three. And, and no, that's not what he's there for. He's there to work now. And now he's not working. So do you, do you get rid of him? and go a different direction, um, I think you consider it. And the reason you consider it is because, again, you're not, Danny Ings is not a player we're going to build our side around because in a year or two, he's going to be, he's going to be gone or he's going to be a peripheral player. Ollie Watkins is the, the player that you build around because he is younger, fitter, stronger, faster, all those good things. And he's like a, you know, if you're going to build a, a footballer from scratch in a lab, he, it would look like Ollie Watkins, like he is a raw lump of coal that you're trying to fashion into a diamond. Um, whereas Danny Ings is kind of been there, seen that, done it. So do we have time to try and mould Ings into something? You know, I'm not sure. So I'm not going to go out and say, yeah, get rid of him. Because as you know, I, I am very patient with signings. You know, I just advocated for some patience with Freddie Gilbert. So I am patient with signings. And I'm not going to write Danny Ings off because he is quality, but... If Newcastle came in with the same money that we paid for Southampton, I would give it serious consideration, yes. I mean, if they're still interested, when I'm out of COVID isolation, I'll go pick Danny Ings up, I'll drive him to St. James's Park and I'll throw him <laughs> at them. Give me the money back. I mean, it's, uh, Craig makes some very sound, very logical points there. The, the main one is we bought Danny Ings for now and he's probably a quarter or, or a, f you know, bit less into what would be his effective kind of window of performing for Villa and he's not performed and the problem with sign-ins like him is if they don't work straight away you don't get much of a resale value unless some stupidly rich Saudi owners come in and desperately trying to save a club from relegation and want to throw money at a problem in which case bite their hands off for it it's there's no shame in the experiment not working we've we've had players with shorter tenures than Danny Ings I mean David Unsworth once stuck around for a day didn't he so at least he's outlasted him <laughs> but um I, I it's clearly not working he didn't fit in Dean Smith's system he doesn't look like he fits in in Stephen Gerrard's system and I think get 20 30 million back for him it could be reinvested infinitely better so I mean I'd, I'd love to see him succeed he's a great player I was always a little nervy about his signing so I didn't think we needed him but it's not working and and he's a battered old warhorse who's who's approaching 30 has injury problems and isn't performing his his value is dropping like a stone so let's let's grab the desperation that Newcastle have with both hands and try and shake as many coins out their pockets as we can yeah I mean obviously you know it's all rumors at the minute um it would be sad, wouldn't it? It'd be sad if 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 it if it didn't work out. But how often do you get that opportunity to correct a, a bit of an error um, so quickly? You know, and potentially, you know, to to kind of almost recoup what we paid for him. Maybe 
I don't know. I don't know what the the, the numbers are, are looking like, really. Um, Would it be sad? Like, does anyone like honest question? Has anyone actually warmed to Danny Ings in a Villa shirt? I know we all know he's a great striker. I, I, I don't think, apart from the overhead kick, I've not seen a moment. I've I, not seen him touch the ball for for three months. If I'm honest, so I I I genuinely don't think he's had a good game yet. Yeah, and that is pretty I damning. Think, I think I'm, I don't remember a game where I thought, oh. Ings was great today. What a class act! I haven't thought that no, so I think, far. I, I think I, I, I meant sad in the sense that Danny Ings was almost like, you know, one of those we're back signings. You know, big Premier League centre forward, um, the type of signing. And we we spoke about this on the podcast. You know that Dean Saunders, Dion Dublin type of signing. You know, a, a, a bona fide Premier League centre forward um coming to Villa Park, you know. Um and it, you know, it, I don't know, it rarely seems to work out for Villa when we do it like that. You know, we, we are better at finding a diamond in the rough, aren't we really? Um and uh, you know We we've had some good ones and yeah. some bad ones, I think, but uh you know the Merson comes to mind, you know, he was kind of a player of a similar profile, similar age, England international coming in for big money at the time. Um, but but again, Merson was a player bought for now. You know what he did? He performed now, straight away. I was there on his debut and I was like, this guy's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. He was incredible straight away and Carrot continued to be incredible, you know, for the two or three years that we that we, we had him until obviously he was, I think, moved along by Graham Taylor, I want to say, and then he continued to do well for Portsmouth because he still had some 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 football left in the legs. Danny Ings hasn't. And, and when you do have a player that's signed for now that isn't performing now... And if you do get an opportunity to, as has just been suggested, perhaps correct an error. And then there's the other question is, which some others have suggested, this isn't my idea, so I'm not taking credit for it, but some have suggested that this was just a Perslow PR mm. stunt to soften the blow of Jack Grealish. Here's a shiny thing. Look over here. Look over here, everyone. Shiny Danny Ings. And, and, and actually, there wasn't a great deal of thought put into how he would fit in with Watkins, how he would fit into the system. And and now we're left with a kind of you know this this giant thirty million pound hole, and and a player that is not looking like he fits into what we're trying. But to we do. all agreed. Do you know what it reminds? Sorry, Dan. We we all agreed on, last last season, didn't we, that we needed another striker because it is unacceptable for for Ollie Watkins to play. What was it? 30, 37 matches, full matches last season. We all agreed that that was yeah. not sustainable and shouldn't be happening. So we needed another striker, and we got one. But it's not worked, has it? You know, it's 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 an odd situation. I mean, if he if he'd have banged in goals, we wouldn't be having this discussion either. I completely get your point, Andy, and it's a sound logical point, and and that's why I hate hearing it because I'm not being sound <laughs> or logical about this whatsoever. Danny Ings reminds me of, you know, when you go shopping and you're hungry and you go in to get ingredients for dinner, but you come out with a bar of chocolate, some yeast extract, you know, some condensed milk and, and some sweets, but nothing to make a meal with. And and it feels like we went to Southampton <laughs> looking for the ingredients to make a dinner. So we were looking at James Ward-Prowse or, or Ariel Romeo, and we came back with Danny Ings, and now we're left with him. We're like, oh, I mean, it'll keep us satisfied for a few minutes, but we can't make anything good out of him. And, and I think that's kind of where I'm at with Danny. He's not a sustainable kind of meal. He's just a he's a bag of sweets, and he's not that tasty anymore. 
there's two things with there. The first one is I was always bamboozled by this. In in my local Asda when I lived in London, there was a McDonald's in the Asda and it was always packed. <laughs> and I was like, and I never understood it. I was like, how are you coming here to buy f- food? But you're, it, it, it always confused me. So yeah, I, I, I get that reference. The second thing is, this is nothing to do with anything, <laughs> but it's making me giggle. Daniel, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you here. He is isolating for COVID and his remedy, just in, my, in the corner of my screen, is he is necking tins of San Miguel <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. And it is the most hilarious thing you've ever seen. So if you're isolating from COVID, I don't know. Daniel may have the. He may have the. Solution. I mean, it, lots of fluids is what they recommend. They don't say what fluids, so it's just. But you know, and not saying the San Miguel has affected my my opinion of Danny Ings. Maybe it has, but. Well, the the other the other thing is, is I'll make a serious point now. I'm I've, I've just talked about McDonald's and Asda. We do have a young man by the name of Cameron Archer, whose pathway to the first team it is clear to see, has been restricted by the return of Danny Ings. Um, Archer has, has, has not been in the squad in recent weeks. He's not been on the bench. So also there's a potential real-world cost there for Aston Villa in terms of one of our own. Now, we don't know if Cameron Archer is going to be the next Danny Ings or if he's going to be the next um, uh, uh, Nathan Delfonso. We don't know. But Ings is definitely in the way of of of, of that is certainly blocking Archer's pathway and it looked as though Archer was ready to kick on and, and maybe make an impact for Aston Villa but this is another problem with having Danny Ings but also in terms of strikers obviously Keenan Davis is is apparently heading out on loan Big Wesley um, has not kicked a football in anger at uh, at, uh, at uh, Club Bruges and, and is rumoured to be headed to Sao Paulo in the coming days so it's a really interesting thing on the striker front but if Ings does leave are we happy going into the second half of the season with Watkins? If Davis is going as well, it would just be Watkins and Archer, and that to me does not seem no, safe. No, we'll we'll come on to the the transfer window in a bit, and of course, you know, with the transfer window, it's not just about about incomings, is it? It's sometimes it's an opportunity to to get rid of the uh, the unwanted fluff, the unwanted um, it is whatever that's that's clogging up that space uh, in the in the squad and you know I think this is a good a good uh, way to dis- discuss our sponsors Craig it is absolutely and um, lots of people uh, in the UK and lots of people in the US lots of people wherever you're listening to this podcast because we are an international Aston Villa podcast um, wherever you're listening to this you may be in a similar position to Daniel and you may be in a similar position to Andy where you are having to isolate at home and you may be you know, thinking about what you might want to do. <laughs> now, some of us deal with the isolation by uh, drinking through it, as Daniel is. Now, <laughs> others of us may be thinking different thoughts. It's like, ah, I'm isolated from my, my wife, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my partner, my sex mate, my significant other, whatever. I'm going to be separated for 10 days. I'm on my own. What can I do in those 10 days to get ready for my return? What can I do in those 10 days to get ready for real world contact, if you know what I'm saying? Close contact <laughs> in close quarters. So there's a couple of things you can do. You can order some stretch bands from an online retailer. You can start you know, pumping, up, pumping those irons in your, in, 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 in your room. You can do, get 
doing some sit-ups. You can get doing some press-ups. You can maybe jog on the spot. You can try and get rid of some of that Christmas turkey and the Christmas uh, excesses that some of us have been indulging in. And the other thing you can do is you can get your Manscaped products ordered to you with free international shipping with our promo code LAMP, L-A-M-P, and 20% off. And you can get your Manscaped bundle delivered to you. And this isn't going to be a rush job in the shower. You're quarantining alone. You're isolating for a few days. So you have nothing but time. You can give personal close attention to every wrinkle, every contour, every sinew of your balls and undercarriage. And you can ensure that rather than missing a spot, rather than having a little tuft of hair hanging out your ass, you can make sure that everything is manicured to perfection. So when the doors open from your isolation and you come walking out, you come walking out in a cloud of, of, of wonderful smelling, clean shaven balls, and you give your significant other the time of their life with manscaped.com. So take advantage of the lockdown, improve yourself, manscape yourself, be ready for action when the doors open in more ways than one. And absolutely, absolutely use our promo code LAMP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with our promo code LAMP, L-A-M-P. Lockdown, lock in, fix up. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Craig. Thank you yep. for that. And, uh, of course, the next time Villa kick a ball, uh, the January transfer window will be open. Uh, and it seems inevitable that Gerard and Co. will be in the market um, with both um, some incomings and, and, and some outgoings uh, being suggested. Um, there are certainly some imbalances in the squad. Um, so just, I mean, let's just have a discussion. What areas, you know, do you think that we'll, we'll likely be looking at to add to, but also to kind of trim down maybe um, over the over the next few weeks? Talking about trimming, I, I think wide men is the area, and, and I'm not sure Craig will like this, but I think El Ghazi, dare I say Trez too, are both on the chopping block. I think both of them could be could be the players to make way this January, especially if Gerard continues with his formation. There, there seems to be no space for our wide boys. Uh, Traore, I think, might be saved because of his injury, but I wouldn't be surprised to see any of those three up on the block. Uh, in terms of additions, who knows? But I think one place, the Nakamba injury, maybe has forced the club's hand a little bit, and, and we definitely need that central midfielder in now. Um, God, in terms of names, i tell you one name that I'd really like to see come in, Hamza Chowdhury from Leicester. I think he's a, he fits that Nakamba mould. He could be a really good player to come in and, and be that kind of terrier in midfield. Or they're apparently still looking at Romeo from, uh, from Southampton, who again would... I mean, it'd probably help that that height issue I talked about earlier. But I mean, I mean, I'm excited to see who comes in. It's a different formation, and we don't really have the players for it. So we could see two or three come in. But I suspect we'll have to sell to buy. And it seems to be the noises kind of coming out the club. Yeah, I think it's 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 really interesting. Obviously, you know, a new uh, a, a new broom sweeps, sweeps clean. Every single player in this Aston Villa squad, other than uh, Super John McGinn who was signed by our mate Brucey, uh, is a, a, a Dean Smith player. Now, Steven Gerrard, clearly, like all managers, will want his own players. We have really suffered, I think, Aston Villa with a great deal of squad churn. 
um, over the last few years. And, and, and it, it seemed like finally we're, we're starting to settle down and now we've changed managers so we could see this squad churn come in again. I think, you know, the old cliche, I'll, I'll get it out, but Morgan Sanson is like a new signing. Um, and, and, and if we can start to depend on his fitness, that is going to be incredible. We have a potted plant in Axel Twanzebi that I would I would <laughs> readily send back from whence he came. Um, he has added absolutely nothing um, to to our to our season. Um, he's been um, uh, 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 he's played terribly uh, as we know, and um, I would send him back from where he came from and uh, perhaps look to invest in our own centre-back, uh, again, echoing the reasons why I was upset with the signing in the first place. You want to develop your own players. We want to, you know, we, we've probably set, spent upwards of £10 million on loan fees and, and wages on Axel Twanzebi, which is just money down the drain for a Manchester United asset. Let's buy our own player, whether it be from Scotland or, or whether it be from the, uh, the, the EFL or overseas. Let's buy our own centre-back and develop him for the future of Aston Villa Football Club. Get rid of Twanzebi for a start. Um, you, you you probably do need to shed a winger, but then you have a problem with the AFCON. Um, Traore is going to AFCON. Trezeguet is going to go to AFCON, which leaves you really with just uh, uh, Philogene Bidace and um, and and my beautiful baby boy Anwar El Ghazi. So really, you can't sell Anwar El Ghazi in this window because you you kind of need him. Um, Philogene Bidace probably could do with a loan, but also we kind of need him with the fact that Traore and uh, and 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 Trez are going to be out for Afcon, and also Leon Bailey, Leon 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 Biscuit Bailey is out too. So that is also a tricky thing that we're going to need to consider. And if Danny Ings is moving along, you probably need a striker too. So for me, I would be looking at a left back. As we mentioned earlier, I would be looking at a centre-back. Bye-bye, Axel, the potted plant, Twanzebi. Happy trail, sir. And uh, also, I would be looking at a centre-forward if we're going to sell Danny Ings. But um, I think that's a big if. I think the midfield for me, I mean, Glenn Kamara has always been uh, been linked, hasn't he? And, and even even prior to, to Gerrard. Coming to the club, so he's he's a man that that Gerard obviously knows knows very well. He was his captain at Rangers. That kind of makes sense. I think managers like to do that. They like to bring one at least, don't they, from their old club? Um, so I think that's that's got potential. There's always talk around Douglas Louise, um, whether he's he's sort of not that they necessarily want him to go that. You know that they might cash in on him at some point, um, and they'll always be interested in him because he's 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 just you can see he's 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 got a very very high ceiling. You know we don't always see, do we? But I, I thought I think he's been excellent since since Gerard came in, and uh, he's he's obviously had periods in his Villa career where he has he has looked like a world beater. So um, you know it's it's whether there's um, sort of money out there really that that other clubs are gonna gonna look to invest in in someone like Douglas Louise. So um but I I don't know, this is the problem, isn't it? You you get into these conversations and suddenly you're talking about, you know, four or five going and four or five coming in and, and you've got a you know that squad churn situation that we're trying to trying to get away from a little bit really. Um we have got a good a good set of players, a good group of players. It is just kind of tidying it up around the fringes a bit, isn't it? And 
you know, adding a little bit of quality if we can, but generally sort of adding a bit of competition for places. Um, that's that's kind of the main the main thing. I think with the, it's an interesting debate with the wingers, and the fact is now um, we don't really play with wingers. Um, the the width comes from the fullbacks, so actually we're talking about pe- players like El Ghazi, um, maybe Trezeguet to an extent. Although I think Trezeguet, funny enough, could potentially do a job at right back. Um, uh, he's, he could potentially convert. He's got the tools, I think, to do that. Um, and Traore, you know, they're, they're, they're very much sort of those winger type players, aren't they? Whereas, you know, we don't necessarily play with that now. We're kind of playing with with two sort of number tens and a striker. So it's 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 a different kind of mindset really now. And it's I think it was very telling um, in the Chelsea game, gentlemen, that um, Trezeguet and El Ghazi remained on the bench and Traore was the first one brought on. I think... Steven Gerrard said something very interesting about Traore in a recent interview and, and, and said something like, or oh, was it McAllister? There was a definitely some, one of the coaching staff said over the weekend that Traore was a player that they'd, I'm paraphrasing, but Traore was a player they'd been waiting for and he's exactly the kind of player that's going to work in this system. Now, I've often said, gentlemen, that Traore is not a winger. <laughs> Traore is a, a, a number 10. You may remember me saying this <laughs> a couple yeah, of no, times. Yeah, absolutely, you have. You have, absolutely. And it seems that, uh, that, that the, the Villa coaching team share my view. Now, what that says to me is, if Traore is coming on, hasn't kicked a football in months on, in the Chelsea game, and he's being name-checked in, in, the, in the aforementioned interview, that tells me that Traore is ahead of both uh, my beautiful baby boy Anwar and also Trezeguet in the in 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 the thinking, so maybe this is the end of the road for Trezeguet, or maybe it's the end of the road for Anwar Al Ghazi, and um, I think you'd get decent money for either, and probably maybe 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 oof, oof. I I can't say it. <laughs> Can you imagine losing Grealish, Dean Smith and Trezeguet in one season? <laughs> be the worst of times as a Villa fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's int- I mean, I thought I thought it was just the two <laughs> that had ripped the soul out, but you're, you're right, absolutely, <laughs> if Trezeguet left. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting window, I think. I, don't, I think had... Had the managerial change not happened, I think I think we might be looking at a fairly quiet window, but there could be three, four, five deals one way or the other, I think, going on. And, you know, we'll just have to see see how that how that goes. Um, but as it stands, Villa um, will visit perennial bogey, bogey team Brentford this Sunday, live on Sky. Brentford have had a, an excellent first half of the season, really, and certainly surprised a few doubters who who had them as relegation fodder. However, they are on on the back of a defeat um, at Brighton uh, last week, although Ivan Tony um, has has returned now. Um, they are without uh, several players, which of course may may put the game into into some doubt as we approach the weekend. Steven Gerrard should return to the technical area, having missed the Chelsea match, and and will hope to have uh, McGinn and Young available again. Although player availability is anyone's guess at this stage. Um, it is starting to feel personal now. Um, uh, being a- unable to beat Brentford, um, so maybe um, with the main protagonist Dean Smith not involved for for the first time, you know, can we break this duck this weekend? 
Craig? Well, I think that we can. I think that the Brentford hoodoo was partly the Dean Smith hoodoo over Steve Bruce. Uh, because our uh, first few meetings with Brentford in the championship was under Steve Bruce wa- Bruce's watch. And as we know, Steve Bruce was never, ever, ever, ever able to beat, um, e- able to beat uh, uh, Dean Smith in any way as a man, as a lover, or as a football <laughs> manager. <laughs> um, I'm, it's a better yeah, I'm, author, it's better author. I may not know about all of those things, but um, no... Um, Dean Smith obviously um, 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 really had the hoodoo over Steve Bruce, and that's continued uh, with Steve Brucey at uh, uh, Newcastle United. But what I would say is that the the Brentford game at the beginning of the season was really interesting because we had just had a, a COVID outbreak, and we'd lost a couple of players right before kickoff. Um, and we had Chukwemenka in midfield, and 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 that was actually a game Villa really shaded. And 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 that was when Brentford were at their best. They seem to be. Um, they seem to. Uh, they seem to have been a little bit more patchy now. They're uh, recently losing to, uh, to to Brighton, and they're playing Man City. I think now, right now, or, or tomorrow. Um, so that might be. They could be on the end of a hiding there. So I would like to think with this new Steven Gerrard uh, system, Gerrard back in the dugout, John McGinn apparently back as well. I would like to think that we have enough to go to Brentford and break the hoodoo and, and win this time. Yeah, I think it's a good time to play them. And um, yeah, they had such a good start to the season. They've gone patchy for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or whether they've been found out by the league. But I think it's a good time to, to face them. Hopefully they'll be on the other end of a shoe-in tonight against City and and kind of tails between their legs. And, and Gerard can come back triumphantly to the dugout and, and lead us to three points. Yeah, so... Um... Well, well, we'll we'll start then. I mean, you know, predictions, guys. Craig first. Oh, I know. You know, I don't like to go first. Um, I think it's going to be two nil, um, two nil to Aston Villa. I think uh, game postponed due to COVID <laughs> cases, but no, I, I think if if it does go ahead, two one seems to be Jared's favourite winning scoreline. So let's go. Now. Yeah, I think this is one of those where a lot of the 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 people that the players that that are out are are actually injuries um so it'd be interesting to see what 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 view the premier league take of it really and, and whether they'll they'll err on the um the side of brentford really but yeah i think i think it's always tough isn't it and even though it's not the old griffin park it's the first time we're playing at their new stadium um it still feels like a a really dodgy away fixture for us um I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one all. I'm gonna go for a draw. I'm I'm not confident with this one at all. I I drove past that stadium on the uh, on on the A4 uh, when I was in London a couple of weeks ago. It is beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Like I was like, oh, this is this is lovely. How did they afford the land here? This is some prime real estate they've got. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's great and it's great to see. I remember going to to Griffin Park um, years ago to watch Peterborough, weirdly enough, because I had a mate who was a Peterborough fan and we went and stood in the away end and it was just like a classic old football stadium, you know, and and, and really great, you know, um, to be there. But League One, League Two, you know, standard. And to see Brentford in the Premier League now is... And and just and really making a fist of it as well. Really, really good team. Um, Excellent manager. Really good setup there. So... All power to them. Um, I hope they stay. Well, up. Speaking of Stevie Bruce, Stevie Bruce's uh, twelve million pound purchase of stock, Scott Hogan may 
you know, maybe there can be a plaque somewhere on the new uh, Brentford Community <laughs> Stadium there, just to thank Steve Bruce for that money to put towards the 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 the, the uh, land, yeah. and, and then Conza as well. Obviously, that one worked out a little bit differently, but um, maybe uh, Brentford have Steve Bruce to thank for that wonderful, beautiful new stadium. I mean, it was an incredible deal, wasn't it? And we lost three one. <laughs> incredible deal. We lost three oh, yeah. nil to Brentford that night, and Dean Smith didn't seem too concerned that Scott Hogan had gone for for ten million pounds. But um, no. you know, there we there we are. Um, but yeah, we'll see how we go. If you are travelling travelling to Brentford, if you if you've escaped the clutches of clutches of COVID and you you can get there, then um, then then have a great afternoon. If if the game goes ahead, um, like we always say, if you want to follow us on on social media, um, head over. Uh, just give us a search under a gaslit lamp and uh, and and follow us, or head over to under a gaslit um, for all the latest um, articles and so on, and if you are interested in writing for us as well, um, just get in touch with um, with the, the the website or Regan Foy on Twitter and uh, at Fine Foy. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you are interested in doing some writing for the website, that'd be great. Um, the other thing is Manscaped, of course, twenty percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com. But guys, thanks for joining me again. It's been a it's been a few weeks. It was great to uh, great to see you both again. And uh, and um, Dan, hope hopefully you're out of isolation soon and everything's well. Um, thanks for listening. Um, stay safe and up the villa. <laughs>